0: The following message is brought to you by Berean Bible Church and may be used and distributed free of charge. For more free audio, video, and text resources, be sure to visit www.bereanbiblechurch.org. Thank you. Good morning. I'm going to welcome you this morning to Berean Bible Church. We are finishing up today the, the last chapter, I mean the chapter 14 we're we're finishing that up now last week in our study of 14 i skipped over a phrase that's in verse 28 and and at first when i first thought about it i thought well i'll just comment on this phrase you know give a few words about it and then i'll come back next week and deal with the phrase then i thought you know what i'm gonna do i'm just gonna skip the phrase i'm not even going to comment on it at all and see if i get any response so that's what i did i just skipped the phrase you know, to see if anybody made any comments. And I didn't get any initial response, so then I said, hey, you know. And then then when I said I left something out, people started emailing me, people started texting me, and there's several people who caught it. I mean, I know one person that caught it, they were waiting for me, two people, I guess, that wrote me, were waiting for me to say something to comment on this phrase, and I never did. So they, they caught it right away, and others were after the fact trying to figure it out. Well, if the phrase doesn't just kind of jump out at you at first, then maybe you wouldn't notice that that I did skip over it, uh, didn't comment on it, but I, I thought it was significant. I thought if I don't say anything about this, people are going to say, hey, you forgot something. I was wrong, all right? And the phrase I'm talking about is found in verse 28. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced. Now, remember we said that's a second-class condition. If you love me and you don't. Talking to the disciples. If you guys love me, you'd be rejoicing. They're not rejoicing. They're sorrowful. Why? Because they're selfish. They're worried about them. What happens to us when you leave? They don't care that he's going back to his father. They're they're worried about them. Because I'm going to my father, he says. Then he says this, for the father is greater than I. Now, why is this an important phrase? Do what? Okay, the Trinity. This is a key text. This is the spoof text. Do you know what a spoof text is? Have you ever heard of a proof text? A proof text is you have a doctrine, a teaching, and you find a verse to fit it. That's your proof text, this is proving what I believe. Well, a spoof text is when you try to use a verse to Make it say what it doesn't say. Alright, it's a spoof text. So this is the spoof text for those who attack the deity of Christ. I would hope that in light of all we have seen thus far in this Gospel, that we will realize that when Yeshua said, for the Father is greater than I, He did not mean that He was less than God. He did not mean that He was somehow inferior to God. This phrase, though, has caused much Christological and Trinitarian debate throughout the church history. People have argued this. And this phrase is kind of in the center of the argument. This was used as a spoof text by those who held to Arianism. Now, you're familiar with Arianism? Just let me be clear you've heard of the Arian Brotherhood. Right, there's no connection there, okay? The Aryan Brotherhood is a racial Nazi ideology, primarily from the 20th century. Primarily started in prisons. That's not what I'm talking about at all. Okay, Arianism. Let me give you a little church history. Arianism was a fourth century heresy named after Arius. He was a presbyter in Alexandria, Egypt. And he clashed with Alexander who was the bishop of Alexandria who believed in the co-eternality of the Word of God. while Arius taught that the Word, referring to Christ, was created by God. In Arius' words, Arius says, there was a time when He, the Son, was not. So the Arians inferred from this passage, you know, the Father is greater than I, that Christ is a creature created Of the Father, created by the Father, though existing before the world began. Now, because Alexander understood this as a very dangerous threat to the church, he publicly condemned Arius' teaching and he removed him from all his church posts. See, back in those days, the the teachers, the preachers had uh, political power also. And so he removed him from all the posts. This led to the calling of the first ecumenical council, which was the Council of Nicaea. At the council, Arius' teaching was formally condemned. So they got the church together, and they had this council. You know, we got this problem. This guy's teaching that Christ is less than God. He's not deity. What do we do about it? So they got together, and they debated the issue from May 20th to June 19th. For a month, they debated this, at which point the council produced an initial form of the Nicene Creed, which condemned Arianism and established the doctrine of the Trinity. Both those things, they condemned him, they said the Trinity is what the Bible teaches. Then Arius was excommunicated and banished to Illyria, and all of his writings were ordered confiscated and burned. So they just wanted to get, I mean, the church was serious about this teaching, folks. This is heresy. They wanted it stomped out. It's attacking the deity of Christ. Well, after being in exile for a decade, Arius sought to be restored to the church. And he appealed directly to the emperor, Constantine. And Constantine was convinced that Arius returned to Orthodoxy. You know, he had come back, so he thought. So he ordered Alexander, the patriarch of Constantinople, to reinstate him. Well, Alexander, what he wasn't happy about this. He was really wary. He just, he, this guy's a heretic. I'm not letting him back in. So, according to a letter by Athanasius, um, Alexander prayed that God would somehow prevent him from coming back in. Very soon after this prayer, before Arius could be reinstated, he died. I'm like, well, that's an answer to prayer, okay? I wonder if his prayer was imprecatory. God smite him, smite this heretic, wipe this heretic out, don't let him come back into the church. The church protecting itself from false doctrine. That's what was going on there, people. That's how serious they took this teaching that Christ is not God. Now, Nathan Busnitz summarizes Arius' impact in this way. He says, In ancient times, Arius' teaching presented the foremost threat to Orthodox Christianity, which is why historians like Alexander make Mackay." Have labeled him the greatest heretic of antiquity. And there's many people who call Arius that. They say he's one of the greatest heretics the church has faced. And again, this gives us some idea on how dangerous the church took this teaching. Now, we're in an age of tolerance today, when all oh, we just have to accept everybody, we love everyone, we put up with. Listen, we have to learn to deal with false doctrine, okay? There's a difference between having different points of view on Scripture and teaching something that's wrong. And I think this teaching, I think the early church was right, this teaching is heresy, the church needs to stand against this. Now, Arianism had all but vanished by the 7th century. Just kind of faded off the scene. But later on, in the 16th and 17th century, the Socinians came back along and started denying the deity of Christ. And they used this verse, for my father is greater than I, as a spoof text for their belief. Now, this teaching has pretty much gone the way too, but we find its heretical teaching today in what group? Know of any group that's still teaching the same stuff? Jehovah Witnesses, okay? They're still teaching the same Arian heresy today. Ryan Turner says this, Despite the best efforts of Orthodox Church to stamp out Arianism, there are branches of the belief that continue to the present day. One of them is Jehovah Witnesses. Like the ancient Arians, these modern day witnesses believe that Jesus is a created being who is therefore not eternal and not God. On the Jehovah Witnesses' official website, www.jw.org, it states this, Is Jesus Almighty God? They ask the question, you know. It's under the section, What We Believe About Jesus. And they ask, Is Jesus Almighty God? Here's the answer. Jesus' opposers accuse Him of making Himself equal to God. I agree with that part. That's true. We see that in the Scripture. However, Jesus never claimed to be on the same level as Almighty God. People, anybody that says that does not know the Bible. Okay? They don't know the Bible if that's what they think. And then watch. He said, for the Father is greater than I. Now, do you understand why I think this phrase is important? The Arians use it. The Socinians use it. The Job of Witnesses use it. This is a spoof text for all their false doctrine. They take one statement and say, this is it. They build their doctrine around it. And here's what's mind-boggling to me. In light of all we have seen so far in the Gospel of John, after all that has been taught, and yet you get to this in the 14th chapter, and there's some people who want to take these seven words as canceling out everything Yeshua has said so far. He said He's God so many times in so many ways that this statement cancels it all out. Now, to understand this phrase, the Father is greater than I, we have to begin where we always should with the hermeneutics. And the primary rule of hermeneutics, which is what? Okay, it's called the analogy of faith or Scripture interprets Scripture. That means... That no part of Scripture can be interpreted in such a way as it conflicts with what is clearly taught elsewhere. That makes sense, doesn't it? The Bible doesn't contradict itself. So if you think you see things clearly taught somewhere, then you see a verse you're not sure about, you can't put that against what you clearly understand. So let me ask you, in our study of John thus far, have we seen any teaching that tells us that Yeshua is equal to Yahweh? Please do this. Okay, yes, we have. Over and over and over. And we can't throw out everything over a statement. Some people say, I just don't understand this. Well, Okay, you don't understand it. You always interpret the the stuff you don't understand, the stuff that's difficult, in light of what you clearly do understand and what is clearly taught. Now, before we look at this statement, for the Father is greater than I, and we try to figure out what exactly it means, I want to review what we've seen so far in this book so we can apply this hermeneutic rule. We'll look at all the texts that talk about the deity of Christ up to this point, and then we get here, and it's like, well, he's not saying something different than he's been saying. All right? I want to look at the clear verses that teach that Yahweh, Yeshua is Yahweh. He is the Son. God the Son. Co-eternal. Co-equal with the Father. Now, before we jump right into that though, since we're talking about Jehovah's Witnesses, let me say a word about Jehovah. Okay? In Hebrew Scripture, the personal name of God is written with four letters. In Hebrew it's the Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh. It's called the Tetragrammaton because it's four letters. This name of God appears six thousand eight hundred and 29 times in the Hebrew Scripture. And yet, people don't want to say the name. The Jews had this idea, God doesn't want us saying His name. Why did He put it in the Bible almost 7,000 times and He doesn't want us to know it or say it? That doesn't make any sense. In the first temple period, at least until the Babylonian exile in 586 B.C., the divine name, Yahweh, was regularly pronounced in the daily life of the people. We see this throughout the Scriptures, in the Psalms, in the Prophets. People talking about Yahweh, they use His name. But by the 3rd century B.C., although the tetragrammaton was pronounced by the priests in certain temple liturgies, Jews had got to the point where they avoided the name. They didn't want to say it anymore. And they would use substitutes. Like, for example, they would say, Hashem. Hashem means the name. They didn't want to say the name, so they said Hashem. Or they would say Adonai, for Lord. And that's what they've done in our Bible. They've taken, every time this is used in the Scripture, they've translated it Lord with all capitals. So whenever you see Lord with all capitals, it is Yahweh, the personal name of God. Now until the the early Middle Ages, Hebrew was written without vowels. By the 6th century A.D., a system of vowel signs was developed by the Masoretes, the Jewish scholars of the period, to help the reader in pronunciation. And so they superimposed the vowel signs of the word Adonai upon the four consonants of God's name. It was a mistake to start with. Well, in 1518 A.D., in his monumental work of Christian mysticism, the Italian theologian and Franciscan friar, Galatianus. Not realizing that the Masoretes had placed the vowel signs of another word with the consonants of Yahweh, they fused the vowels of Adonai with the consonants of the divine name, and they gave the church the name Jehovah. It's a word which has no meaning in Hebrew. None whatsoever. So strike Jehovah from your Christian vocabulary. Okay, it's not God's name. Never was God's name. It doesn't mean anything. Hebrew words always have meaning. Strike this name out of it. Okay? It's not biblical. God's name is Yahweh. He's told us that. They asked His name. My name is Ehia, Asher, Ehia. Okay? I am who I am. And then later, two verses later in that text, in Exodus 3, He says He is Yahweh. So the very name, Jehovah's Witnesses, they're witnessing to somebody who is not a person, all right? There is no Jehovah. And, first, and secondly, they're not His witnesses at all, okay? As we're going to see, you deny the Son, you deny the Father, all right? But worse than their name is their doctrine, okay? It's terrible. Hopefully you'll see that as we go through here. They take the truth of Scripture and they manipulate it to suit their doctrines. They have rewritten the Bible to line up with what they teach. And that, to me, is the height of stupidity. Because if you don't care what God really says anyway, just throw it out and go do something else, okay? But We see this in the very first verse in the Gospel, all right? You all remember this, right? It was a couple years ago, I think, we went over this, all right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This statement, I don't know how it could get clear. In fact, these four Greek words may be the clearest declaration of the deity of Yeshua in all Scripture. The Greek verb, aimi was, means to be or exist and suggests continued existence. So he's saying here, the Word always existed as Yahweh. Now Lazarus doesn't say the Word was divine, the Word was like God. He makes a bold statement, the Word was God, and he leaves no room for anyone to see Yeshua any less than God to any degree. Herbert Lockyer says this, what a tremendous phrase this is, the Word was God. Language has no meaning if these four words do not clearly teach that Christ is very God of very God. I agree. Words don't have meaning, if that doesn't mean what it says. Barrett wrote this. John intends that the whole of his gospel, please get what he's saying. John intends, he means Lazarus, the whole of his gospel be read in light of this verse. That's why this verse is first. You got to understand who you're reading about. He is God. He says the deeds and words of Jesus are the deeds and words of God. If this be not true, the book is blasphemous. I agree. And that means, if we're going to read the whole gospel in light of this verse, that means when you get to the words, For my Father is greater than I, they have to be translated in light of what He said throughout the whole rest of the book. And what He started with. He's saying the word literally was Yahweh. He's saying this, Yeshua is God in a body. Nothing less. And we see that when we get to verse 14. he says the Word, the Word that was God, the Word became flesh. In other words, God took on flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. Yeshua is God in a body. And so at the very beginning, Lazarus lays it down that Yeshua is the living Word. He is the perfect God. Revelation of Yahweh. Now it's at this point that Yeshua is Yahweh that the Ari, Arius' disciples, the mod, his modern disciples, Jehovah's Witnesses, argue that Yeshua is not eternal. Rather, he was the first being created by God. They say God created Yeshua, Yeshua created everything else. Okay, but God created him. Because the Bible talks about Yeshua creating everything, so well, they say, well, he. You know, the Bible says he was the firstborn. See, they just don't know anything about Greek, anything about language. So they just make stuff up. They say he was the first created being. And that's on the basis of a flawed and inconsistent interpretation of the Greek of this last phrase of verse 1. It says, they translate this phrase, the word was a God. Reducing Christ to a being less than and different from God. Now, the Jehovah Witness mistranslate this verse in their 2013 revised, it's called the New World Translation. That's their Bible. And they say, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. So they just add A in there, make it a little G, and say He's just the A God. Now, let me tell you this, people. If a Jehovah Witness or a Muslim or anybody says to you, that, what we have in our Bible is a mistranslation. It should not read the word was God. It should read the word was a God. I want you to tear your clothes. I want you to throw dust in the air and I want you to run away screaming, heretic. Okay? And I understand that we've got a couple people watching us live, a couple people who go in the chat room that are pushing this Aryan doctrine. And I want you to understand you're welcome here. You're welcome to come and listen but we're not going to put up with you teaching or pressing this Aryan doctrine. All right? We're just going to cut it off. All right? So please come listen, but we're not even open to hearing what you have to say about this, okay? This 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 deal was closed way back when in church history. All right? So and I have people write me all the time Wow, what do you think? You know, preterists write me all the time. What about this? You know, do you think, you know, maybe you need to expand your thinking and see this. I'm like, that's something that can't be seen because the more I study, the more it's just so clear what the Bible teaches about Christ. See, the JWs claim here that the work, that the Greek has no definite article, the, so that a God is more literal, literally correct. And this view comes from knowing just a little bit about Greek. And there's a good reason why Theos... God here has no definite article. And I don't, I'm not going to go into it all now because we went into this when we did our teaching on John 1, 1 through 2. So if you've got questions, if you're dealing with a JW or some Aryan disciple, go back and look at John 1, 1 and 2. The message is titled, Yeshua is Yahweh. And I went into the Greek very in-depth there explaining why their translation is totally bogus. Um, the website gotquestions.org says this. The New World Translation, that's the JW's official Bible of 2013, is unique in one thing. It's unique, all right. It is the first intentional, systematic effort at producing a complete version of the Bible that is edited and revised for the specific purpose of agreeing with a group's doctrine. Oh my word, you talk about getting the cart before the horse. Here's what they do. This is what we believe. Let's make the Bible line up with it. I just, I mean, that to me is the stupidest, most foolish thing. If you believe the Bible is the Word of God, then you bend, you bow to it, no matter what it says. You don't change it so, hey, we think this, let's get the Word to line up with us. He goes on, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Watchtower Society realized that their beliefs contradict the Scripture. Scripture. So rather than conforming their belief to the Scripture, that would have been good, they altered Scripture to agree with their beliefs. The New World Bible Translation Committee went through the Bible and changed any Scripture that did not agree with Jehovah Witness theology. The most well-known of all New World Translation perversions is John 1.1. The original Greek text reads, The Word was God. The New World Translation reads, it is, the word was, a God. Now what's interesting is they're not consistent with the translation at all. Later they'll translate God the right way, and then sometimes they'll put you know an A in front of it. They, it there's no consistency. That's what I mean. They only change it where it conflicts with their doctrine. Very, very bad translation. It is a perversion. Okay? And I, I've had people try to argue, well, the, uh, the Bible says this. That first of all, that's not the Bible, okay? That's a translation, a bad translation. That is not the Bible. All right, Let, let's go through the Scripture then. We've seen John 1, one that He starts this book in a powerful way, leaving us no question about who Christ is. All right? He's in the beginning with God, he's with God, and he was God. But it, that wasn't it, he didn't just set that there and go on, He, he all through the word. Do you remember our study in chapter 5? Chapter 5 is a powerful chapter on the deity of Christ. Remember what happens in chapter 5, there's this, this lame man at the pool, of Bethesda, he's laying there, he's been lame for 38 years, alright? And our Lord goes up to him and says, get up, take up your bed and walk. And what happens? Immediately the guy's healed, takes up his bed and walks, and... This draws a lot of attention to our Lord. Do you remember why this healing drew so much attention? It was on the Sabbath. See, I mean, they, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, like, wow, you're healing lame people? They, they never considered how great the miracle was. They just said, you did it on the Sabbath. That's not right. You're not allowed to do that. The miracle's done on the Sabbath. So, so the lead Jewish leaders... Considered Yeshua as a lawbreaker. Now, you're a lawbreaker. You can heal people. That's pretty cool. But you're a lawbreaker. I mean, just... So it brought this uh, Sabbath controversy and they brought their wrath down on the Lord because of it. Well, we see in chapter 517, you know, as they're accusing Yeshua, you can't do this because it's a Sabbath. He says this. Yeshua answered them. My father is working until now and I'm working. Now, You know, you read that and you think, okay, whatever. You don't really get it. But you know what she was doing here? He's saying, listen, you guys, you you guys want to argue with me about the Sabbath. Yahweh works on the Sabbath, right? They all believe that. Every Jew would admit that Yahweh worked on the Sabbath. The sun came up on the Sabbath day. They considered that. They weren't like us, okay? They weren't into science. All this happens because some big bang happened and put all this stuff in motion. It all just keeps happening. The Jews believed that anything that happened, God did. Rightly believed, I would say. Okay? They understood if it rained, God was working. If the wind blew, God was working. If the grass grew, God was working. They knew Yahweh continued to work of judgment. People died on the Sabbath. Redemption on the Sabbath. They knew Yahweh worked on the Sabbath. No question there. And this explains the violence of the reaction when we get to verse 18. See, the Sabbath privilege was peculiar to Yahweh. Nobody else was equal to Yahweh. Nobody else was allowed to work on the Sabbath day. So in claiming the right to work, even as His Father worked, Yeshua was claiming to be Yahweh. The I Am. Now the Jews knew, people today read this and they don't get it, but the Jews knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying that the eternal God does His work all the time, and so He's claiming to do the same thing. This shocked, this angered the Jewish leaders, but it shouldn't surprise us in view of 1-1. Right? Look at verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him. Because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, they considered what He did a violation, but He was even calling God His own Father. Now watch how they interpret this, making Himself equal with God. So Yeshua's contemporaries clearly see Him as claiming to be God. Now the Jehovah Witness interpreters who say Yeshua never claimed to be God I said, don't know the Bible, right there. He, they're saying he makes himself out to be God. That's blasphemy. You can't be equal with God. Notice something that's not in this text. That's very important. Yeshua doesn't respond by saying, "Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, no, 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 no. You guys got me wrong. I never said I was equal to God. That that would be wrong. That'd be. I'm not saying that at all." Yeshua never said that. Shouldn't He have? If He's not God, shouldn't He step up here and say, wait a minute. Don't be spreading false teaching. Do you remember what happened when Thomas saw the Lord after the resurrection? What did Thomas say? My Lord and my God. What? You're calling Yeshua God? How did Yeshua respond to that? Yeshua said to Him, have you believed because you've seen Me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Again, he doesn't say anything like, Thomas, don't be foolish. I'm not God. I'm a created being like you, Thomas. Don't call me God. Do you remember what happened when Paul and Barnabas healed a man? And everybody thought they were gods and they're like, oh, what did Paul and Barnabas do? They tore their clothes. Wait a minute, stop. We're men just like you. They knew, you don't call us God, we're not God. Yeshua never did that. I wonder why. Because he was God. David Flusser, you've heard me mention his name many times. He's a devout Orthodox Jew. He's a professor of early Christianity and Judaism of the Second Temple Period at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. I love this quote of his. It's one of my favorite quotes. He says, you poor Christians... You wonder why the Bible doesn't say Jesus is God more often. It says it all the time. You just don't understand Jewish thought. That's our problem. Over and over he says it, but we don't get it. We miss little things. People, the heart and soul of the Christian faith, the heart of the gospel is a right view on who Yeshua is. You get that wrong? The Gospel's wrong. There are some who see Yeshua only as a man. A good man, a great teacher, an excellent example of moral conduct, but he can't be any of these things if he claims to be God. A good man would not claim to be God. That's wrong. We've already seen in this fourth Gospel that Yeshua took the sacred name of God. I am. And he applied it to himself over and over. He referred to himself as the I Am, the very sacred name of God that a Jew wouldn't speak because they thought it was too sacred. He took it and claimed it for himself. He claimed to be Yahweh, not to be another God, not equal to God, but Yahweh Himself. Look at verse 23. Yeshua says that all may honor the Son just as as they honor the Father. What is that? Equal honor between the Father and the Son? Well, so God's giving some man the same honor that he has? Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now, <coughs> excuse me, subordination usually results in less honor. But the Father has guaranteed that the Son will receive equal honor with himself. By committing the role of judging entirely into Him. We see this in the text. Yeshua judges. Therefore, failure to honor the Son reflects failure to honor the Father. And honoring the Son honors the Father. How can Yeshua say that all will honor the Son just as, in the same way they honor the Father? How can He say that in light of Isaiah 42a? I am Yahweh. That is my name. My glory I will give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. So Yahweh says I'm not giving my glory to anybody else. What man or what created being should say we should honor them just as we honor the Father? Clearly Yeshua is claiming to be Yahweh. Like I said, chapter 5 is very strong in the deity of Christ. So when a Jehovah witness says, well Jesus never claimed to be God, tell them, go read your Bible. Go read a real Bible. Not the perversion that you guys come up with go read a bible go learn some greek go learn some hebrew and just read what the text actually says because anyone who says that that christ never claimed to be god they don't know the bible over and over he claims to be yahweh he does it all through this text he insists that he is to be worshipped in the same way as yahweh is he's to be honored he's to be praised adored respected trusted obeyed the same way as god the father So when a person says that Yeshua is not God, a very God, He's not only not honoring the Son, He's dishonoring the Father. And so this applies to Jews today. Jews today would say, we don't believe in Christ, we just believe in the Father. Well, you can't honor the Father unless you honor the Son. You don't come to the Father, but through the Son. Look at chapter 8, verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am... You will die in your sins. People, you hear me quote this verse over and over. This is a very important verse. Yeshua is talking to His detractors there. He's talking to the Jews. And He says, Unless you believe that I am. Now the He there, you see it's in italics. Most Bibles it's in italics because it's not in the Greek. It's added. Yeshua is saying, Unless you believe that I am. The I am. God. Yahweh. Unless you believe that, what will happen? You will die in your sins. So do you think it's important to have a right view of Yeshua? I think that verse is powerful, people. Look at 8.58. Yeshua said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. What? Yeshua is saying He existed eternally as Yahweh. John 10.30. I and the Father are one. The Jews had asked Yeshua for a plain statement about his Messiahship. Yeshua gave them far more, a claim that he and the Father were one. The Jews understood this claim to deity. And they said to him in response, You being a man, they were wrong, make yourself out to be God. So they again, if you just look at what the Jews were saying, they understood Yeshua to be claiming to be God over and over. Well, since Yeshua is God, then people can know what God is like. To know Yeshua is to know God. Look what He said in 14.9. Yeshua said to Him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know Me, Philip? Now watch this. Whoever has seen Me has seen the Father. That's a strong statement, people. If you want to know what Yahweh is like, Study the life and teachings of Christ. Because He is demonstrating. He is Yahweh in the flesh. Now let me give you one more. Not in John, but by the same author. Revelation. Yeshua says, I am the Aleph and the Tav. Alpha and Omega, that's Greek. I believe Yeshua would have said Aleph Tav. Hebrew. First and last. I'm the first and the last, says the Lord God. Who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty? So Yeshua here claims very clearly to be Olaf Tav, and you're like, well, okay, that's good. What does that have to do with anything? Well, again, David Fluser, if you understood Greek thought, if you understood the Scriptures, you'd know what he's saying because he's quoting here from Isaiah 44:6. Thus says Yahweh, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, Yahweh of Hosts. I am the first, I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. So Yahweh is saying this very clearly, and here Yeshua is saying, I am it. Well, which one of you is? Both. <laughs> because they're Yahweh. In light of Isaiah, Yeshua, Yeshua is clearly claiming to be Yahweh of hosts, the only living and true God. Alright, now with that in our, in our minds, let's go to our text. Okay. All that I said all that to say this. <laughs> For the Father is greater than I. Okay, we got all that as background, and we get to this verse and we go, oh, what does that mean? That's scary. I don't, that sounds like he's saying he's less than God. Well, again, we have to apply the hermeneutical principle, the analogy of faith. We've seen all the text so far, so now we know when we read this, he cannot mean that he is less than God, as the Arians and the JWs and the Unitarians proclaim. So what does he mean by this statement? I mean, I agree. It's a confusing statement if you don't get it and just, he just kind of throws this out there. It seems to contradict so much that he's been saying. If Yeshua and the Father are one, how can the Father be greater? Hopefully you'll understand that in a few minutes. Okay, Yeshua is speaking of Himself here, listen, in His humanity. In His limited capacity, As a human being. He is not speaking ontologically here. He's not dealing with the essence of being. Essence of nature. Since he had stated repeatedly that he and the Father were one ontologically. He is speaking of the Father's relative glory compared to his glory. Yeshua had laid aside his heavenly glory at the Incarnation. And so the Father had greater glory than the Son during Yeshua's earthly ministry. This is a text that is so fundamental. This was, they believe, taken from an early hymn. Which I like that, because that tells me they sang some powerful songs. Okay? Because this is some of the greatest doctrine you're going to find in Scripture in this text. Who though He was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a serpent. And being born in the likeness of men, he being found in human form, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Another powerful point with this whole doctrinal statement here, he's using this as an example of selflessness and humility. He says in the opening verses of the chapter, you need to look at one another as more important than yourselves. Let me give you an example of how that works. How about Christ? Okay, And he lists the doctrine of Christ. The word was here is the Greek word hubarko. It's a verb that stresses the essence of a person's nature. It's to express the continued state of a thing. It's unalterable, unchangeable. Paul said Yeshua unalterably and unchangeably existed in the form of God. This speaks of pre-existence. The word form here is morphe. It has nothing to do with shape or size. Okay, get that out of your head, all right? Molden Milligan say, morphe is a form which truly and fully expresses the being which underlies it. It refers to the essence or essential being. Yeshua pre-existed in the essence of God. And when Paul uses hubarco and morphe, form, he is saying something very specific. He is saying that Yeshua the Christ has always existed in the unchangeable essence of the being of God. That's where he was. Then he says this, but, this is contrastive here, people, not this, but this. This is how Christ was, but, he emptied himself. A change took place. This is the Greek word kanao here, from which we get the doctrine of the kenosis. It means to make empty. Figuratively, it means to abase, to neutralize, to make of none effect, of no reputation. Well, here's the question. Here's God, equal to, with God from all eternity, but He empties Himself. What did He empty Himself of? Some people say He emptied Himself of His deity. Well, if that was true, He would cease to exist. Okay? You can't exchange deity for humanity. That's called the doctrine of the hypostatic union it teaches that yeshua had two natures he was human and divine in one person Yeshua was the theanthropic person he was the God man the only person that ever existed like this he took on humanity he didn't he can't get rid of his deity because he is God all right you can't just get rid of that he, and he didn't some people say well he emptied himself of the attributes of deity it's impossible to surrender an attribute without changing the character or essence of the person. God cannot change. He's immutable. So what did He empty Himself of? He emptied Himself of His glory. John 17. We'll get here in a few months. And now, Father, He says, this is the Lord, He's praying. This is His prayer. Father, glorify Me in Your own presence. Yeshua's on earth. I want to be back in heaven with my Father with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I want to come back to the glory I shared with you. See, in His incarnation, Yeshua temporarily laid aside the glory that is shared with the Father from all eternity. He is speaking to have His glory restored because His glory was put aside when He became a man. Because back to Philippians, it says He emptied Himself and took the form of of a slave. Servants of bad translation. Christ became a slave. He laid aside His glory by becoming a slave. But now Yeshua is about to return to the Father through His death, burial, and resurrection, and to the greater glory that He had with the Father from before. In His humanity, Yahweh, the Father, is greater in His divinity. But in the I mean, in His... Let me say that again. I'm getting confused here. In His humanity, Yahweh the Father is greater. Okay, when Christ is human, in His humanity, in the Incarnation, the Father is greater. In His divinity, the Father and Son are co-equal. They're the same in essence. They are one. Let me try to give you an example. See if we can... Work. This, is a, this is I mean, God became a man. A God-man. He's human, but He's God. And, you know, people argue about, you know, when they see Yeshua performing miracles, they say, well, that's because he's God. No, and I've gone over this before. When Yeshua performed the miracle, he did it in the power of the spirit, because as God, he laid aside the prerogatives of deity and humbled himself. He walked this earth as a man dependent on the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that's what he wants us to do. I don't have a deity side that I can make, do whatever I want, but I do have the same Holy Spirit that Yeshua had, and I can trust the Holy Spirit to do through me what needs to be done. He walked this earth as a human being. When he knew something, you know, supernaturally, it's because the Spirit brought it to his remembrance. When he did something supernaturally, it's because the Spirit worked through him. All the gifts of the Spirit were evident in Yeshua. But he walked this earth as a man dependent on the Father. That's how we're supposed to do He is our example. We're supposed to do that same thing. Okay, let me try to break this down, see if I can give you an analogy you understand. If I were to say to you, Mike Heiser is greater than I, what would you assume I was saying? Without a context, it's kind of hard, right? I mean, you usually need a context for a statement. But I just throw out of the blue, Michael Heiser is greater than I, do I mean he's a better husband than me? Honey, that couldn't be possible, could it? I didn't think it could be. Did it mean he's a great, better father than I am? No, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> wow. I'm, we're, I'm batting a thousand right now. <laughs> okay, now listen. Yeah, quit. I hope that if I said that, that no one would take this to mean he's more human than I am. Right? Would you think that? Well, he's a greater human being. The greater than category should not be presumed to refer to ontology apart from the context indicating that. I would guess that you would think maybe he is greater in knowledge, he's a greater theologian. Let's say the conversation is on biblical scholarship. Okay? We're talking about biblical scholarship, and then I say, Mike Heiser is greater than I. Okay? No. <laughs> Here's what people would say. People would probably laugh and say, are you kidding us? You're comparing yourself with Heiser? Or they'd say, that's an understatement, Dave, for sure. Or someone would say, how arrogant of you to even put yourself in a class with Heiser. And I would agree with all of those. Okay? Hands down, I would agree with all of those. I would never put myself in that same category. All right? But what would you think of me if I said this? Yahweh is greater than I. Would you agree with me? Would it bother you if I said that? Well, see, a mere man, a creature saying God is greater than I, is blasphemous nonsense. Almost as if I said I'm equal with God. No kidding, God's greater than me. I can't make that comparison. Just to make the comparison is ludicrous. And for Yeshua to even make such a comparison assumes essential oneness between Him and the Father that he already directly stated in John 10.30. Because he's comparing similar things. See, when you compare, you compare things that are alike, of the same nature. For example, you wouldn't compare a person with a dog in the sense of, well, that guy's not too bright, this dog here is way smarter than... I mean, come on. I know, I know. Maybe a weak example, because some people you wonder about, okay? (laughs) But you don't compare things that are not similar. You compare people with people. You compare a dog with a dog. The very fact that He said, My Father is greater than I, He is saying that He belongs to the same category as the Father. Instead of us thinking, For the Father is greater than I, means that Yeshua is not deity. That's backward. Because He compares Himself to the Father, His divine nature should be taken for granted. He's comparing things that can be compared. And one thing we have to do when we're looking at a phrase like this, the Father is greater than I, what is the context of that? Why is He saying that here? Context is important. What does it mean? D.A. Carson writes this on context. It is better to take, for the Father is greater than I, to refer not to the immediate preceding clause, but to the main clause. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father. For, the for there can be translated because, for, because the Father's greater than I. See, guys, if you love me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father because that's where I belong. That's where I came from and the Father's greater than I. I want that greatness like He's got. I want it back. I want the same glory. But it's not going to happen unless I go there. Because I'm diminished in the sense of being a human being. He says, if Jesus' disciples truly loved Him, then we'd be glad that He's returning to the Father. For He is returning to the sphere where He belongs, to the glory He had with the Father before the world began, to the place where the Father is undiminished in glory, unquestionably greater than the Son in His incarnate state. When He makes this statement, the Father is greater than I, He's talking about the glory that the Father has and the glory that He has he's being He's a human being. It's a diminished state and He wants it back and He prays for that in John 17. The Father is undiminished in glory. So He's obviously greater than the Son because the Son, glory, is limited in His humanity. So with that statement, the Father is greater than I, Yeshua is focused on His humiliation. His incarnation, His earthly life. A humiliation which now in His death is reaching its climax and its end. Because He's soon to be, within 18 hours He's going to be put to death. Three days He's going to be raised from the dead. He's going back to the Father and to the glory which He knew. The Athanasian Creed reads this way. Christ is equal to God as to His Godhead and inferior to God as to His manhood. Believers, we cannot let the phrase for the Father is greater than I be used to cancel out everything that Yeshua has taught about His deity so far. It's just not good hermeneutics at all. We've got to understand he has got to mean something different than this here. This subject is extremely important. I hope I've shown you that. It was important all through church history. The church has always fought to hang on to the truth that Yeshua is God. To deny the deity of Christ is not to believe who He is. Because that is who He is. Which is not to believe in Him. People say, I believe in Christ. Not if you don't believe He's God. You don't believe in Him. Because He is God. You're believing in someone different than Christ. A person that's not God. And if you don't believe in who He is, you don't have eternal life. Because Yeshua said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. I think that's pretty strong. And what He's saying is that people have to believe who He is. They have to believe that He is Yahweh so they do not die in their sins. The conditional clause here provides the proper object of faith. You do not believe that ego a me. Yeshua is claiming to be the I am. If you do not believe that I am, he's asserting himself to be Yahweh, the self existent eternal God, using God's name. If you don't believe that I am, you die in your sins. Listen to me, people Yeshua is Yahweh. To deny that, to deny the deity of Christ, is to deny the fact that he's Yahweh in the flesh, is to die in your sins. That's strong, but I didn't say it. He did. Okay? Yeshua said that. That's what He's saying. Unless you believe that I am, you're going to die in your sins. You cannot reject Christ's deity and be a Christian. And I think we need to do all we can to kill, to put away, to destroy this Aryan heresy that keeps coming up in the different groups over and over. They want to question, they want to deny the deity of Christ. And like I said, this phrase that we looked at That's why I said last week, I missed a very important phrase. That's why this phrase is so important. It's a spoof text for all these different cults, heretics that want to deny Christ. They'll run to this and they'll say, see that? And see, Christians aren't that familiar with Scripture, so a JW will show them that verse and they'll be going, yeah, what does that mean? Now you know what it means, okay? So let's do all we can to support, to defend, to protect the deity of our Lord, because if he is not God, he was a lunatic or a liar because he claimed to be God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I know this is strong stuff. Lord, I pray you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see. I pray you'd give us the heart of Bereans that, Lord, I ask that people again would not take. My word for this, they would study this out for themselves. Dig into the Greek. Look what Yeshua is saying. To me, Father, this teaching is so clear. A child can understand it. Lord, may we be familiar enough with our scriptures that we're not tripped up by false doctrine. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Amen.